get started. I got woke up by the Lord this morning. He's like, do you want transfiguration or limitation? I thought that was pretty cool. Transfiguration or limitation? Yeah. Are you trying to figure things out or do you want to transfigure them out? Right. Yeah, I don't want limitation. I don't want limitation. I want transfiguration. Isaiah chapter number 42. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not share my glory with anyone else or the praise due me with idols. Look, my earlier predictive oracles have come to pass. And now I announce new events. Before they begin to occur, I reveal them to you. Sing to the Lord a brand new song. Praise him from the horizon of the earth. You who go down to the sea and everything that lives in it, you coastlands and those who live there, let the desert and its city shout out and the towns where the nomads of Keter live. Let the residents of Selah shout joyfully. Let them shout loudly from the mountaintops and let them give the Lord the honor he deserves. Let him praise his deeds in the coastlands. The Lord emerges like a hero. Like a warrior, he inspires himself for battle and he shouts. Yes, he yells. He shows his enemies his power. I have been inactive for a long time. I have kept quiet and held back. Like a woman in labor, I groan and I pant and I gasp. I will make the trees on the mountains and hills wither up. I will dry up all their vegetation. I will turn streams into islands. And I will dry up the pools of water. Listen to this. I will lead the blind along an unfamiliar way. And I will guide them down paths they have never traveled. I will turn the darkness in front of them into light. And I will level out the rough ground. This is what I will do for them. And I will not abandon you, says the Lord. Those who trust in idols will turn back and be utterly humiliated. Those who say to the metal images, you are our gods. Listen, listen, you deaf ones. Take notice, you blind ones. My servant is truly blind and my messenger is truly deaf. My covenant partner, the servant of the Lord is truly blind. see many things but you don't comprehend and their ears are open but you do not hear the Lord wants to exhibit his justice by magnifying his law and displaying it 
The people all around us have been looted and plundered. All of them are entrapped in pits. They've been held captive in prisons. They were carried away as loot. There was no one to rescue them. They were carried away even as plunder. And no one says, restore them. Who among you will pay attention to this? Who will listen attentively in the future? Who handed Jacob over to the robber? And who handed Israel over to the looter? Was it not the Lord against whom we sinned? They refused to follow his commands. They disobeyed his law. He poured out his fierce anger on them along with the devastation of war. His flames encircled them. But they did not realize it. It burned against them, but they didn't even notice. Who among us would say restore? That the Lord would bring about the great restoration of all things. As Jesus is retained in the heavens until the restoration of all things. Lord, we want you back here, Lord. We want you back here on the earth. This is your rightful inheritance. Start with us, Lord. to wholeheartedness, back to love. Help us, Lord, lay our head on your chest, to hear your heartbeat, to hear what you're after.
God of Abraham 
come to entertain the people in the court I'm here to please the king I want to love on you Lord I did not come to camp outside and view you through a haze I've got to look into your eyes in the holy place in the holy Looking at you, Jesus, fix my eyes. 
eyes like a prize and looking at you No longer slaves to sin We are free, we are free, we are free
fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you, Jesus. I fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you. We can't go back. We can't go back. We can't go back. There's no reverse. There's no reverse in him. Oh, he's going to take you. He's going to take you. Press in. There's no going back to where we've been. We are free, we are free. We are free, we are free, we are free. We're no longer slaves, we're no longer slaves, we're no longer slaves as free men. We worship Him as free men. Oh, as free men, we pray. I'm looking at you, Jesus. I fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you. I fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you, Jesus. I fix my eyes on the prize. I'm looking at you. Oh, fix my eyes. There's no going back. Fix my eyes. my eyes on that bright light it's blinding me so I can see oh I fix my eyes on this love that carries me fix your eyes on him don't fix your eyes on what he can do fix your eyes on him don't fix your eyes on anything else except him. chapter 14 verse 17 for the kingdom of God does not consist of food and drink but righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit for the one who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and is approved by people So then, right now, he says, let us pursue. Let us pursue. We pursue you, Lord.
one another sweet fellowship. Go after him. The kingdom of God is not in food and drink. First Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 45. 
So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living person. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth and made of dust, but the second man is from heaven. Like the one made of dust, so too are those made of dust. So too are, and like the one from heaven, so too are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, let us also, this is a, you, let us, this is an agreement in your will. You're saying, I want to. You have to say, you, you gotta let, let me, Lord. Let me bear the image of the man of heaven. You have to, you have to permit him. And it can feel a little foreign because, listen, flesh and blood cannot inherit. He's saying, Paul's saying, he says, I'm, I'm saying, brothers and sisters, listen, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This is the exposure. I tell you a mystery. We will not fall asleep. Even when you come up to this point, I've, I've been here so many times, you can feel even yourself, like your physical body begins to get tired. You can feel it. It's because if you'll, if you'll go through this process, we, we do this every Sunday, we, we live like this. Can you not be with me for one more hour, says the Lord. Remember, the flesh, right? Remember, it's weak, but the Spirit is willing. The Spirit inside of you, this right now is the transference of the Lord for you. This is the component of transfiguration, to be transfigured right now. You have, to, you have to let him. And he's a gentleman. He will not force his way on your will. You have to want the exposure. But I feel uncomfortable. Meantime, I'm like broke out into a full sweat in my body saying, ah! uh, I want to inherit that which is imperishable. Oh, body, get out of the way. My soul is crying out for the Lord. I want my soul transfigured. I'm not running anymore. 
destined to wear white. My chest is full of holes and a dress and veil as snow. He said he'd come for me, he'd know when I'm ready. My heart is aching for the coming of the Lord. And I must get ready now, I must get ready. Now, I must get ready now, for behold, my bridegroom comes, and I must get ready now, and I must get ready now, I must get Behold, my bridegroom comes. For behold, my bridegroom comes. And I am his promised bride. I'm destined to wear white. My chest is full of hope and a dress and veil as snow. And he said he'd come for me. He'd know when I'm ready. My heart is Taking for the coming of the Lord.
we give oil to you we won't have any when the bridegroom comes go and find it at a store I must get ready now oh make us ready God make us ready now Oh, the bridegroom is coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Oh, the bridegroom is coming, oh, he's coming, oh, he's coming, oh. Don't wait to expose, don't wait, don't hide from him. Oh, that's what it means. Open yourself up to him. He knows already, but it's something that happens in us. Oh, behold, my bridegroom comes. Yes, behold, my bridegroom shining bright with oil to last the night and this passion is a fire and it burns with pure desire oh and he said he come for me he'd know I sleep, but my heart's awake. Oh, he's coming soon. I pray. Oh, I must get ready now. I must get ready now. I must get ready now. For
just by the very one that I has faded out and I Well, and I'm here now. 
my head and you look into my eyes instantly I'm swallowed whole in your light and I stand in awe I stand in awe and You're beautiful.
It's going to leave something on the end here. <laughs> you know, the Lord, he so says the craziest things, but um, if anyone in here, like, knows what RNA, like, R2 means or anything about that, you know, maybe we can dialogue about it sometime, but I got a little bit. I don't know what it means, but it has something to do with RNA and it has something to do with um, transformation by light. And that, you know how Jesus said, there's a, I have a food that you know not of. And you know, like, you know how you can eat certain foods or drink certain drinks and it takes your body and you, you can feel bad from it but then you can take in proper nutrition you know you can feel fantastic does anybody experience that well jesus has a food jesus has a food that he said i have a food that you know not of and if you've ever like taken in proper nutrients and then you realize again how good you can feel but you didn't know about it you're like if i would have known about this i would have kept i would have been doing that because you feel so much better right but then you think about there's this food that uh, the lord has and he tells his disciples you guys don't know about it yet and that's what he's talking to me about is i have something that you know not of there's a You know, when we're going through this transformation, transfiguration process that all of us are really signing up for with the Lord and letting him come in to, for the perishable to put on the imperishable, you're partaking of, Peter talks of the divine nature. And so in that there's this agreement with the Lord, which you're again, letting him, you're allowing him to give you a food that you know not of. And I, it's hard for me to explain sometimes like this morning i knew that you know how the lord will walk through walls well i knew something about the way we digest things would keep a person from walking through a wall or something like that but then we know the lord ate right and then he walks through a wall remember that have any of you tried to walk through a wall yet it's like you keep bumping up against it something's not aligning molecularly to allow that to happen but this will happen. And, um, and the, the Lord, what he's doing with us is he's reconfiguring us. And you're signing up for a reconfiguration, which we call a, it's a transfiguration. And the only way you can get into this is by coming out of limitation. And so when you, limitation is in the, is a lot of it's in our mind. And so when we, when we say to the Lord, I let you, what you're doing in effect is saying the limitation of what I can perceive or understand or know is insufficient to where I'm going with him. And so I'm taking the limitation here off because he said, I will lead the blind along a path that they have never went before Isaiah 42. I'm gonna lead you along a path you've never been before. 
Joshua, you know, we're, we're, we've not been this way here too far. And a lot of you that are in this room, many of you in here have explorer in your nature or you have breakthrough risk taking. Many of you have already like engaged in that. It's sort of the missionary impetus that's inside of you. So you're like engaging with a new technology, so to speak. But you're engaging with the technology of heaven. And you're saying to the Lord, I have a limitation. I hasn't seen, right? Nor you've heard it said, right? Ear has heard. It hasn't even entered into your understanding, your consciousness, what God has prepared. And what you're saying is you're transferring your trust over to him. This is sort of like a little debrief about the purpose of our worship sets here. The real purpose of it is for real light-based transformation. That's actually what we're about, is that you come into this environment and you leave changed. In some aspect or component of your life, you're receiving the divine nature. And of course, you don't have to just do that here. It can be in a cave, a cathedral, a closet, or a castle. It can be any context. The point is, is that you allow yourself to step into that space with the Lord, take your limitation off, and allow yourself to be transfigured. I mean, there's science for this. And uh, this morning, after we take the uh, offering, I, I want to get into some of the mechanics of this so that you can see to see it through a teaching. And, um, and Brad Ames, he's going to come up with me uh, during that. I want you to hear a story that he's told me for years. Brad means broad place. And so a lot of times we get down to this narrow place and then the Lord wants to break us out into out of the narrow into a broad place. But there's a thing that happens in that transaction that this morning we're going to break that down. The the what the mind and what happens in the limitation place and how to recognize it so you can move into a broad place with the Father. The mechanics of this are very important. Um, and it's laid out all throughout Scripture. Jesus teaches it. Paul teaches it. We have many examples in the Word about how to come into a place where you're narrowing down of limitation to move into a place of real life-giving transfiguration. Ultimately, yay, to glorification. So I'm going to pray over the offering and uh, you know bless the offering and then we'll set up for that dialogue this morning with Brad so you can hear him and I'm going to set it up and then let you hear a story from him and then Lord I just thank you this morning for I am so grateful for my friends here that are your friends that are just willing to be partakers of the divine nature in an atmosphere where light can break forth and Lord everyone here and even those that are not here with us this morning are really transmitting even within this atmosphere this hope of glory that lays within us, Lord. And I just thank you for every living stone that's present here. Every single soul, Lord, that is marked by you to see you restore all things. And that we have come into a place where we can agree together to do that. 
Take all the limitations, Lord, and begin to remove them off our heart and our mind, Lord, so we can behold you as you really are and come into the broad place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you as you give. To set this up this morning, Stephen's going to set up some chairs and prepare to bring Brad Ames up. And I just said it, but I want to say it again, because I woke up with it this morning. The Lord said, do you want transfiguration or limitation? It really is a decision of the will. It's a decision that you can make with the Lord. What I wanted to do is present something that's like culturally going on and then then we're going to move into Hebrews 12 and go through something here. I this week if some of you are on our Facebook Messenger, I sent out a article called uh, scientists uh, playing God through transhumanism. And I don't know if some of you got to read that article. It's very um, interesting because, as you know, there's a very big thrust and move in our uh, culture right now for uh, transhumanism. And we have another major thing going on in our culture called transgenderism. And, and you hear it, it's all in the news right now, and it's, it's just everywhere. It's pervasive throughout what's going on and what I want to suggest is or what I believe is is that many are placing this transhumanism and transgenderism in the realm of the body and I think culturally uh, people are seeing that there is a need or there is a coming shift for men Man is uh, preparing for something, and I would say uh, there's an ideology that's out there that is man is preparing and, and has this desire to be deified. And the New World Order is really going to utilize this uh, through programming and things to, 
to call for the, uh, the deification of man. Now, as you know, God stands in contrast to that. The Lord is into actually restoring man to what has been lost with man uh, by the man Jesus Christ. He said that he's the, the way, right? The truth and the life. You can't get around or circumnavigate Jesus. You can't go into um, retrograde. You can't deviate around the Lord to the path of human transformation. And so there, there's a point to all of this. I mean, I think the field of, um, please bear with me in this, a lot of the fields of epigenetics, genomic targeting, viral inoculation, I do not know what I'm saying. <laughs> but many of the branch fields that are really breaking out right now, artificial intelligence, are actually coming online in a way like we've never seen before. Uh, DNA has been mapped, I think, um, right now there's a, there's a global map. There's even building for global consciousness. Look at Marvel. Look at DC Comics. There's something, I mean, you don't get series built out of, for instance, um, was it James Cameron's Avatar? Most grossing film ever made, if you've ever seen it. Where you're sort of incapacitated physically, but you're able to put on an avatar and you can function like because your body is uh, physically incapable of doing this and the desire to be indwelt by some other form that would take over you. And I mean, most, as far as I can tell, and, and I don't know if this is, involves inflation or not, but the most highest grossing film ever produced, Avatar. Not far down from that, the Marvel series, the DC comic series, the James Bond series. Adam 1 is like seeking for something in a major way, and they're willing to do whatever they can and to, to bring this about. In the article, and, and some of you, I'll just give a little bit of this, but remember uh, Victor Frankenstein? Remember Mary Shelley's work? That lady was way ahead of her time. She, she was looking at it, exploring this, and so this article said, the first time I ever read the Gothic tale Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, I was in the 10th or 11th grade, and prior to this, they were only familiar with um, just the Hollywood version where you see this murderous creature with a violent temper and, and then you saw the monsters version. It was sort of a spinoff and kind of made it hilarious. But if you read the original story from 1818, it was saying that I found out that this tale was a raging, awkward, diabolical monster. And they realized that the real monster wasn't the creature. Now, of course, he, the creature was the monster, but the, the real monster was the one who was playing God. <laughs> In fact, many people call the creature um, actually right Frankenstein. 
And when there's actually a man who created it called Dr. Victor Frankenstein. And when you start to look and research the goal of transhumanism, and the more you dig in the specifics that are going on behind that movement, the goal of that movement is to take science and technology and nanotechnology, biotechnology, and neurotechnology to improve and prolong life. That what they're wanting to do is give man the ability to create a new life. But the ultimate goal of transhumanism is to achieve eternal life by becoming one, listen to this, with artificial intelligence. They're using this uh, CRISPR-Cas9 gene for editing technology in one way they hope to overcome aging. Now, I got so happy this week because I've been on a Martian smoothie that Dr. Gus Vickery over here suggested. I call it a Martian smoothie, or you could call it like a Gerber baby food smoothie. <laughs> but it's what it looks like. It's like this green whatever, but man... And uh, I was going to get some paint, some Annie Swan paint this week for Kara, and I walk in, and uh, this lady was talking said, about children and things and said, uh, how many boys are going to be in this bed? That we, I was going to repaint this bed. And he's like, oh, I have two sons. How old are they, 11 and 7? Oh, you're going to definitely need this probably acrylic to put over the top of this, the paint. And I said, yeah, that's probably right. I was like, I got four more girls. Two, like, you have six kids from the same wife? <laughs> it's like... Yes, I have only one wife and not a bunch of baby mamas. <laughs> I didn't know about baby mamas until I was at the gym one day, and one of my friends, he told me he had 12 baby mamas. He had been converted, and we were talking to each other, but I mean, he had a lot going on. And, uh, but anyways, they, said, they looked at me and said, and I said, my oldest is 17, said, no way, we thought you were 23. I said, I'm coming back here, and I'm just going to stay here. But I was thinking, that Martian smoothie is amazing. <laughs> Talk to the doctor. <laughs> get, get a hold of the Martian smoothie. There is something, and I don't think you would deny that, and I don't know if you deal with this, but I don't really want to get old. There's no turning. Oh, Janie. <laughs> Old age is not that. You don't want to be like, oh, man. This thing is hurting. <laughs> right? Henry, <laughs> Henry's like, wait till you get my age. And I was like, no. I remember when I was 23 uh, and I went to work for the Air National Guard in Charlotte. And everybody in there were um, almost retirement age. And I couldn't take it, man. Those guys, they were all like Air Force technicians, and they always talked about retirement. I remember like, could you guys just stop doing that? I'm 23. You're like 65. No offense, but I mean, stop talking about retirement. Like, I don't want to hear anything about it. Like, we're going to like, Blaze out into the night like a fireball, you know. <laughs> like, forget this retirement stuff. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know, but I mean, 
this could be very attractive to a culture that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I think in some way that even those of us that know Jesus wouldn't like to be broken down and hurting every day. I mean, I don't, I don't like the idea of getting surgery. I don't like the idea of taking any kind of extra stuff to deal with pain. I don't like any of that. So you can imagine that someone really that doesn't know the Lord and they have no hope that they would possibly say, oh, you mean that you've got something that could bring me to a place of immortality? Yeah, I, I might get on board with that. And, and it's happening. Let's just be real about it. This is what is really going on. A lot of people don't really understand this. And if you don't, just look at World War II. Just study history. And if you become, in our society today, someone who is useless, or some way that you're viewed that way because you have some kind of deformity or you're getting into old age, well, you're sucking up the air we breathe. And so, you know what I mean? It's just awful. It's called euthanasia, it's called abortion. This thing is trying to infect our whole entire way of life. When Jesus has offered us something so much, so, so much more real and authentic. You know, the difference to me, I'm like, I said, Lord, how, what do we combat artificial intelligence with? And he always said to me, authenticity and integrity. He said, because if you take up the A, you can get an adulterated heart without authenticity. And if you take up the I of idolatry, you miss the integrity that could come into your soul. I, yes, the Lord wants an AI. He wants you to be authentically who he made you to be. He wants you to be who he is in you. You know, I, I said last week, and it's recorded, but... I was sitting on the edge of the gym bench a couple few years ago, and he says, I didn't create you to be Q. If you were Q, then you wouldn't be you. And because you know you're not Q, Q can't be you. And I say, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, Q's a what and you's a who. See, you're not made to be a what. You're not made to be defined by your doing. God made you. Now, God wants to get the I out of you and put I am in you. Do you see the difference? And that's how we can begin and frame this this morning. That the Lord can say in John 17, Father, glorify me so that I may bring and give all the glory back to you. Do you see, transhumanism, what it's after is it's wanting to seat the I in you. Transhumanism wants to deify the I. And God wants to deify I am in you. He's already the deity. But you have to let him. Let is a very important word because it implies that you have the prerogative to bend your will. You, you have to say, Lord, have your way with me. Listen, if... if if people don't get into this and they don't understand this, 
Someone else is going to impose their will onto you. Jesus will never impose his will onto you. But I'm telling you, this new world order, in differentiation to this Melchizedek order, will impose their will onto your very being and force their eye reality onto you. And they are building systems right now to do this. And they want you to get into fear by manipulation or control-based anger and hold you in a place to receive their eye version of you. It's in our colleges everywhere right now. Speak up for one, one thing. You can't hardly say anything. Why? Because the imposition of the will can't allow for anyone to have an expression. And the Lord wants to give the greatest expression of himself through you. He wants to break the disconnection that happened because of Adam 1. The Adam 1 called sin. Adam 1 of the iniquitous pattern. You know, the Lord's not wringing his hands because of transhumanism and transgenderism. The Lord has a response. Transfiguration. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And Brad, if you want to come on up, I'm going to begin this. Uh, and let me just pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for this introduction, building a context. I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit this morning that you would use like Stephen said to me just a minute ago, Lord, you're not utilitarian. You're a lover. And I pray in this atmosphere, Lord, that love would pervade and move through us and we would be transformed by love. That we would receive not a pragmatism, Lord. Not you put this much in, you get this much out. No, you've paid it all, Lord. It's finished. We're bringing this revelation in, into us, impart your revelation into us. We're not just information, but your life, Lord, this morning. Your life, Jesus. Your life, Lord. Your life, not intellectual life, not emotional life, but your life this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews uh, chapter 12, therefore, there it is for a reason. The context being that you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You are therefore surrounded. You're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and because you are, the reality of heaven upon us, you must, you must, and I, I want you to hear last week, uh, the first Transfiguration AD, I want you to hear what Tom has to say. Also, Tom's got a book, The Kingdom of Heaven, and, and I would recommend that you look into it and let the Lord move in you. You can talk to him about that, his work that he's poured his life into. But Tom was saying to us last week, he says, you must, you must, you must get rid of every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you. You must, people don't like you must. People don't like a command. 
People, a lot of times, don't like repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. People don't like that. This is under the weight of this, though, matters so much that the writer of Hebrews 12 would say, you must. And then you have to say to the Lord, let. Because the Lord, again, will not impose his will on you. The strength of the weight of the word is here to call you and to me to call us to repentance. Let me, let me say one thing. Well, let me go to the text and then we're going to look at this. You must get rid of it and the sin that's clinging so closely to you. Did you know that in families, a lot of families go on and they persist in certain types of sin? They can't see it. That's why we have a body of Christ a lot of times because we have no way to reflect upon or understand anything that's going on around us because who's going to talk to us about the thing that's pervasive in our family lines? A lot of time we may not even see it. Now, if you've been married <laughs> or if you are married, you see it. <laughs> You've been around for a little while, you begin to recognize that something might be clinging closely, so closely to you that it's, you have a blind spot to it. And you must run with endurance the race that is set out for us. What? You've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. The joy that set out for him is he endured the cross and disregarded its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus becomes the prototypical model for us because his eyes are set for the joy out in front of him, future tense. He's also prototypical model for us because where's he seated right now? He's seated at God's right hand on a throne. Why does that matter? Because this isn't the beatdown. <laughs> no, this is unto glory. Your must to repent and my must to repent and get away everything that's inhibiting me is unto glory. It's unto exposure of the great white throne. It, it's coming, the judgment seat of Christ. The, the great white throne judgment is unto glory. Now, think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. Now, you have not resisted to the point of bloodshed. Has anyone in this room ever been so stressed out because of sin that they burst the capillaries in their forehead? I have seen capillaries uh, break out inside the face before, you know, little red dots from a lot of pressure. But I've never seen anyone, now maybe you have, but I've never heard of it. He said, you've never resisted sin to the point that it burst your capillaries like the Lord. It was under so much pressure because of the sin, of our sin, that it literally was sweating blood. It, the capillaries gave way, I, I believe, in his, in his face. You've not resisted it to that level, and he's a man. That's the point. And your struggle against sin. 
And you, have you forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons? Now, my son, do not scorn the Lord's discipline. Or give up when he corrects you. Now, this is where I'm going to focus on this. I want Brad to tell something that he shared with me for years. I love his story because it's really marked me personally. And every time I come through a struggle, the Lord will, me and Brad will have an interaction. And he won't maybe know what he's saying, but he'll say the same thing to me. And I know it's from the Holy Spirit. It's, it's to just say, set your eyes in right alignment. Because he had this experience with the Lord, and it's so powerful. Before we frame his experience, or you hear his experience, I'm going to frame it. My son, do not scorn. Is another word for this, despise. Or faint. Some of your translations will say, or faint when he corrects you. When he does. <laughs> not if he will. When he does. So what I want to do is separate these two components out because for you to come into what the Lord has for you and to go into a broad place, you need to understand clearly what happens in the human heart when correction comes. Um, the two primary emotions that will come to you in the discipline of the Father is a right-based despising the correction. Another emotion that may come from that despising it is anger. Another way for me to say this is madness. What's happening is in the correction, you think you have control. And when someone begins to pull the control off, they take the control off, and you find yourself feeling like you're out of control. Because when the Lord brings his divine hand into your life, do you know what I mean? It'll be like a pressure that'll come on you. It, sometimes it appears out of nowhere. You'll be just like doing your thing. And the next thing you know, you're like, what's going on? I don't know. This is how it happens with me. So I just, you know. It's your fault. That's a, <laughs> I've done that one a lot. Took care of. <laughs> the wife you gave me. <laughs> she caused this. She said that to me. How dare you talk to me like that? Nobody knows what I'm talking about, do they? No. Your husband. Point a finger. My mom and daddy. My kids. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> right? Finger pointing, fault finding. It was my past. It was my colleague at work. It was whatever. It's my boss. It's the guy that works for me, the gal that works for me. It's driving me crazy. I don't like them. You feel this thing come in on you. Madness. I don't know if this happens to you. Some people are oriented towards madness, some towards sadness. I just think I had them both. Or Madness and sadness. So, so what? He says, hey, when the correction of the Lord comes, you're like, no, that's their, that's their thing, man. They're causing this. No, because it says even your enemy will, when your ways please the Lord, even your enemy will be what? At peace with you. So don't, don't tell me, because I've done it all. I've done all these things. 
I wasn't put in leadership by the Lord because I, I'm a good guy. I was probably put it up here because I, I literally might be one of the worst guys. <laughs> and I had to figure it out. Madness and sadness. He says, listen, don't, when the, when the, don't scorn God's discipline when he brings it into your life. Get mad because you're losing control. Let the faults come down or faint. Sadness. Has this ever happened to y'all? You get so tore out of the seams mad because you lose your control. You're losing control. And next thing you know, you're like a bottle of tear. I mean, you're just tear all crazy. I mean, <laughs> you know, I have kids. I've done it. I'm sad because I can't believe that's even in me. You mean to tell me that's inside of me? I didn't think I was like that. Please don't do this to me. I, I thought I was a pretty uh, upstanding individual. Does this happen to anybody? Or? Thank you. Thank, I mean, I don't like that feeling you're making me feel right now. I was I'm pretty straight-laced, man. I got this together. You mean you're holding me responsible for something I didn't even do that I knew that I was doing, like omitted? I mean... A lot of madness is related to sins of commission, but a lot of sadness comes from sins of omission. It's really hard. It, it can get you really down, and it can make you feel isolated, and you don't want to hear someone else reflect on your nature and say, how could you say that about me when I try to do everything for you? Anybody know what I'm saying? You got a problem with me. Well, I got a problem with what you didn't do. <laughs> Give me a break. You know, you're mad at me because of what I didn't do for you. Isn't that a little selfish? Cora, you know that story with Moses? That guy thinks that raising up 252 other guys against a leader who has 2 million people under his charge. I mean, who does that little guy think he is? I lead a 2 million person congregation and you brought 252 of your guys to me. That is not Moses' response, though. Do you hear what I'm saying? Moses doesn't respond to Korah like that. Moses throws himself on the ground. He prays for him. I mean, couldn't you imagine? Could you imagine? 252 is one quarter of a thousand, and one thousand is one tenth of ten thousand, and ten thousand, what, you know, who does this guy think he is? I have power. He doesn't respond that way. Listen, I, you hear this, don't faint. Don't give up. Don't scorn or despise. Don't get mad and sad. Listen, there's one. He has the oil of gladness. Oh, above all his fellows. And a beautiful, glad heart. Not a mad heart. Not a sad heart. But a glad heart. All right, Brad, can you...
Have I set you up, you know? Or can you, you know the story of the rabbit hole? Yeah. Carol sent a, uh, a text to me the other, the other night, and uh, it was a trailer, a YouTube trailer of uh, this new movie coming out, Buzz Lightyear. Oh, and and uh, I'm like, okay, you know, so I clicked on it and a little trailer and Buzz Lightyear. In the, in the end of the trailer, he's like, to infinity! And, you know, and, yeah. oh, you, you know, the Lord uses such simple things that are touchstones and points of contact for us individually. And he, he's used a lot of uh, uh, scenes in movies, just a few. Uh, one was certainly a, a number were in Braveheart. But I know for me, probably the most profound thing that the Holy Spirit did was at the end of the movie, Braveheart. Uh, he was, William Wallace is in, is in prison, ready to be tortured. And someone comes in and gives him, looks like some kind of opium uh, solution to dull the pain. Because he's going to be tortured. He says, I can't take it. He goes, I am afraid but I can't take it, I must have my wits. I must be clear. And that began a springboard of the Holy Spirit speaking to me about a uniqueness, a uniqueness of my calling. And I have been someone on the surface have tried to portray myself, even growing up in sports as being tough, as having it all together, as this. but inside, always had anxiety, always had a, a, a lack of confidence, a fear of failure. I had no father figure. I had a father who abandoned and worse. I had no point of contact or context of being wanted. I wasn't wanted. I was conceived when my parents were in high school. And I'll just say this because it lays a, a, a backstory you know, I would be someone, I was first born, but I would be someone that would fit into the psychological model of someone with attachment disorder. I was not attached relationally to any human being. I wasn't wanted. My father, well, we, you know, I, I'm not going to dishonor my father. He died without the Lord um, in 07. But I will say, having no context, my mother was an only child, my father was an only child, and they had no relationship with the Lord or with their parents. My father was 6'6", he was a basketball star. I don't know if you remember, there's a Hall of Famer called Bob Cousy, he played with Bob Cousy back in Connecticut. And my father had a full scholarship to go play at Connecticut. My father ended up playing a few years in semi-pro and professional basketball, but here was the thing. I was conceived. Back then, you got married. That's what you did. But back then, you had a full scholarship to play, and if you were married, you could not play collegiate sports. My father had to give up his dream because my mom was pregnant. 
And he had to get married. Now he's going to school and had to get a job. But what was in him anyways? You know, just the violence. And some of you have experienced this, maybe not all of you. The violence, the abuse, just not knowing. <laughs> like, and you knew as a little child. I could remember it. Three years old, four years old, five years old, six years old. Like, I didn't do anything wrong when you're just out of nowhere kicked across the room like a soccer ball. I had no point of reference. Always felt alone, though I had many friends. I say all that. Because someone would say, how can you possibly know the love of God, the Father? And that kind of is a true statement. So it is the backstory. Everything that has happened to me Though God has given me an ability, like he has with some others, in, in unique ways, maybe like Carol or Gus or other, you know, there, there's different, you know, intelligence is a, is a thing, but, so I had a propensity of mathematics, and that's what got me into college, but I, um, so, Everything that's happened to me has happened by divine revelation. My father was an atheist. He had multiple graduate degrees. I was an atheist by default. I grew up in Connecticut. And when it was three, and I say this, now we're coming to this, but I just feel the necessity to give a little backstory because it's all God. And I know that I'm special, but you're special. How do I know that? Because I've so I've gotten a PhD in Orthodox theology, that will never do it. Oh, there is a place to know the Word of God and the cognitive component that God has given us. But without the move of the Spirit of the Living God on the human soul, where truth is not cognitive anymore, it becomes live in you. It's part of you. He's part of you. I went up to Orono, Maine at a transcendental meditation conference in 1975. I didn't care less about Hinduism or anything else. I was going to go back. I dropped out. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. I dropped out of school, drugs. But I said, my only validation is this, at least this little bit of ability God gave me in sports. So... I'm going to go back to Connecticut, and I was going to Connecticut, and play football. And I thought, oh, trans so I'm working out, I'm training, but transcendental meditation might give me this that little great, I just want another edge. And so I'm up in Orono, Maine, under the, the stars, and in a quantum moment, I hear an audible voice. I've never heard voices, even though I'd use drugs. I don't hear voices now other than his voice. The audible voice said, you are an eternal spirit being. Now, I was an atheist. In an instant, I was no longer an atheist. It was that word. I wasn't like, what was that? Or I'm going to have, whoa. I'm going to have to meditate on that, chew on that. What the heck? It was the substance of what was spoken by the Spirit became alive in my soul. 
Five months later, I end up down in Key West, Florida on a, a mini vacation. It's the middle of the winter. It's December in Connecticut. And I'm walking on this little, they call it, they don't have beaches in the Keys, but what? Um, Big Copic Key, Boca Chica Naval Air Station. It was right there. And no one's around. And I look. And there's a blanket kind of on the beach, like you would see where someone would lay on the beach. But there was no cooler, there was no towels, there was nothing else. And there were no people. It was just a blanket. And as I got closer, and I would say probably maybe 50, 75 feet away, the second audible voice. That, and I see an object in the corner of the blanket, but I'm not thinking much about it. I hear the audible voice. That is a Bible, and in it contains the words of life. And I get up to the blanket, and it's a Bible. And it was like, it just, wow. Well, was it coincidental? Well, obviously not. Within days, I meet my wife, who was living in Key West. She was a senior at Key West High School. She invites me to church. And I don't think I, you know, I was kind of attracted to her, like, but I don't think I would have gone to church. Maybe I would have, but, but I did. I mean, I'm like excited. It was a stereotypical Southern Baptist church, hellfire and brimstone every week. I mean, I just enjoyed being there. I mean, I'm singing hymns. I don't even know what I'm singing, but I mean, I'm just enjoying being there. But I would, and, and I went for probably three, Oh, two and a half, three months. And I would tell Pam and a, a few of the other people, I go, you don't believe this garbage, do you? I mean, no, I w ironically, I wasn't offended. You know? If you don't repent, you're going to burn in hell! You know, I mean, you I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm, I don't know. It had to be a preemptive work of the Holy Spirit because I'm feeling some joy here. Not like, I'm like, that's, well, hey, that's garbage, but, you know, it didn't offend me. Well, I'm walking on the beach Sunday afternoon, probably around 1 o'clock. So I go to church. Now, I'm still, you know, I'm selling... <laughs> Yeah, with a sergeant in the Air Force and, and, and some guy in the Marines, so we had a, on Stock Island, we had a trailer, and we're, you would thought we had a, 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 a military annex at our trailer on Stock Island because just uniformed uh, enlisted men in and out, in and out, because we were selling marijuana. <laughs> and so, you know, that's what I did. Not for a living, but that's... I'm walking on the beach, and here it is. The third audible voice... I am Jesus, the Son of God. It wasn't like fire. It was just instantly my response. My choice to choose him was a secondary response to a, an initial prime, primary reality of the Holy Spirit encountering my soul. It was like, oh, I was like, I'm yours. My soul is yours. I am. It was just, I am yours. And I was just radically changed. But I still never had a mentor. 
or a father. There was no pastor. So there was still tremendous brokenness and woundedness. And, and I knew nothing of the scriptures. I'm okay. Well, I go up to a school. The Lord had put in my heart, uh, you know, about not about doing this kind of um, not selling what I saw. Even back then, Jesus insurance policies. I'm like, ah, there's something just not right with that. Not about wanting people to know Jesus, but kind of convince them to buy a Jesus insurance policy. I mean, I just couldn't do that. But I had no father, and those first, that first year or so were powerful in the Lord because just this simplistic childlike faith. But then I went up to seminary, Bible college, a very conservative, orthodox school, not charismatic. And I remember the first semester that my relationship with the person of God realigned with my relationship with my personified idea of God in the scriptures away from intimacy with the person of God. For 18 years, my life just kept going downhill. Oh, I knew theology, Greek was my minor. I, it didn't help. Even though everything in me, I would stand on the word. Went to deliverance. It didn't help. Took medication. It didn't help. I mean, now there's things happening in me, you know, just kind of psychosis and depression, anxiety, these things. And it was just nothing helped. Um, inner healing. I, I mean, and I knew that God would have to raise me from the dead. I didn't expect him to, but I knew that he would have to. My wife would get prophetic, I mean clear prophetic things from time to time. I mean, and she said, God has showed me who you are. But over the years, she goes, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. Now my oldest son has gotten into drugs. And finally, my, because my wife would say, Father set him free. She got to the point where she said, Father, take my husband home and set my son free. Two weeks later, the Lord took my son home and set me free. He died at 17, a really difficult death, alone. It would have been the very thing that the enemy would have purposed for my, for my ultimate destruction. So here's the, the whole backstory. Because I'm here now, not because I'm any more special than you, but I come from heaven to tell you how special you are to the Father. Not because of what you do, not because of anything you have, but because. Because he has chosen you to be his son and daughter. <laughs> the depth of this is unbelievable. And so that began a series of encounters that I didn't believe in. And I don't mean a Holy Spirit acid trip where I hear people talk about it. And I, you know, I know God can do these things, but I do question, seriously. And 
rightly so, when people in a cavalier way, common way, talk about a third heaven experience. Let me tell you, if John, the apostle, with that kind of history falls on his face like a dead man, if every other person becomes petrified in the contrast of that infinite disparity of the greatness and glory of God and themselves, and someone in a cavalier way starts to talk about, yeah, man, yeah. An angel dragged me across a sea of transparent gold, man. I tasted the color nine. Like, whoa. I'm like, and I'm, I'm embellishing here a little bit, but here's the thing. I wasn't taken into the throne room, but everything that's characterizing was three days and three nights. I was someone, because I so wanted to be accepted, to be loved, to be liked to be validated, and it's in every one of us. But I, I didn't even have a mother. I had no one that validated me. So I bought in, like everyone, into the lie that's pervasive here. And this is not to defame a person. Man, I, when I was little, I used to love the Green Bay Packers, you know, uh, not Vince Lombardi, but, uh, you know, Bart Starr. Paul Horning, yeah, I don't know if you, Jim Taylor, yeah, okay. Um, but this is a lie, but this is, this is the lie that's here. When Vince Lombardi was asked, okay, so winning's the most important thing, he goes, no, winning's not the most important thing. He said, winning's the only thing. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because, but see, the longing of the soul is that we're created not for greatness, but for infinite value and worth. That is, we're created not to reflect the character of God. We're created to emanate from the core center of our being the character of God. And it's God who has worth, but because he's emanating through us, we have infinite worth. And this is incredible. And so... <laughs> the backstory because it is coming here and we're coming up until the age of 44 I mean I was so put so much energy in projecting a persona every hair had to be blown dry if I took courses I had to get all A's I didn't even dance at weddings because I wasn't I didn't think I was a good dancer and I was so self-conscious up until age 44. Well, we danced. I see Pete with his little boy over here. And so we're talking, I mean, these things are serious in the sense that God is revealing the depths of himself and in the context of what's going on now. And in the context, truthfully, on some measure of our double-mindedness still. There's still double-mindedness in all of us. And the Lord says, there it is. Come dance with me. <laughs> and you said, Carol, for the joy set before him in Hebrews 12, it says Jesus endured the cross. When did that joy, which is biblical hope, that is biblical hope, 
It is the present reality of a future certainty. Or in other words, the present certainty in your being of a future reality. He knew. Without doubt. I'm going back to the Father, as he says in John 17. Lord, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world was. I can't even imagine the joy in him. But there's another joy. There is another joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That you, Wendy, would be with me. You, Julie. You, Gus. You, Tom. Janie. You would be with me where I am. Not just to behold my glory, but you will partake of my glory that all glory goes to the Son, to the Father. That is, we're radically, cosmically, infinitely transfigured into the image of Christ. We don't become God. This is incredible. So, three days and three nights taken up. And I tell you, the Lord says, characterized, and two years later, it happened again, three days and three nights. It's characterized by what I call a baptism of repentance. Repentance is everything. It does begin on the surface, like an iceberg, but really fear-based obedience and that tip that we're conscious of, but it begins there. But man, there is an iceberg <laughs> that none of us know about. You don't, you don't know the motivation of your heart. How about the disposition of your soul that's behind the motivation? <laughs> ah! <laughs> like, like you say, I don't want to scare the kids, but like, ah! <laughs> like, what? I can't get it right. This is, well. So all I'll say, so many things happened, but what God did in me and now we're going to have, and this was right after my son's death. Now we're, we've waited, and we're going to have a memorial service for my son. I mean, I had every suit, had to, every shirt had to be pressed perfectly, and every hair blown in place. You know, I said, God has set me free. And I don't mean, I'm a thousand times more like Christ today than I was 20 years ago. Even though I may be a million times not like him. But you know what? I don't think that, that way. <laughs> the more and more I don't get my eyes on what is not, but place my eyes on what is him, <sighs> because the more I see him as he is, the more I become like him. And it's not just a cognitive thing. It's relational. It's everything. And so, but I was this, I will just say this in that experience. I was taken up into utter darkness. I don't know what that means. Was I in the body or out of the body? Was it really here? Was it there? I don't. I'll tell you this. It was more horrible. First time in my life, just before that, it's the first time the thought of ever taking my life entered my mind. When a person gets so discouraged, so despairing, so hopeless, such an absence 
of joy, you get to a point you'd rather not exist than to exist like that any longer. I'm taking up God in the Holy Spirit, taking up, I didn't just see my sin. I don't mean just superficial stuff. I experienced, I don't know how that is, but I experienced the substantive depth of, depth of it. And I write in a journal, it's a thousand times past the place that a person would take their own life. I would have ceased to exist if God wasn't sustaining my existence. I knew that. It was horrible, but it was simultaneous. I call it a baptism of repentance. It's when the Spirit of God brings the revelation, but it comes with the revelation of that which is not, juxtaposed with that which is, and I see a vision of Jesus. To me, it was, where was I? I don't know. And he's seeing what I'm experiencing. It's like some people say, oh, he doesn't see yours. And no, he sees it. He doesn't take it into account at all when you're his son saying, come here. And you don't have to get it right to get in his lap. <laughs> to get in his lap. And this uh, was profound. Because he's seeing what I'm experiencing, and his eyes all eternity, and it was the second time this has happened, his eyes, I don't know how this is. It's kind of like the idea anyways in physics, not even with a lot of atheists, but just a point here is to say, theoretically, or like the atheists in evolution would say that all matter and energy was condensed down to an infinitely small point of singularity. Well. Use that idea, it was like how God actually thought of me from before time, space, and matter began. All throughout all eternity, without diminishing a moment, how he thought of me. As David would say, your thoughts towards me, O God, in Psalm 139, if I should, what? Consider them, they would outnumber the sand of the shore. It's not just thoughts like of all you, the data points. <laughs> uh, it is thoughts of eternal intimacy and glory that you would become like, what does the scripture say? Conformed completely to the image of Christ. <laughs> well, I tell my wife, I go, it doesn't matter. I'm free. And my, so in my son's memorial service, I said, bam. People have to know. The freedom in Christ, not the freedom to sin, not the freedom to be inappropriate, but the freedom where I'm no longer I'm subject to the response of others. I don't need the accolades to validate me, and I'm not affected by being thought wrongly of, lowly of, or falsely of. I was going to stand up on stage, serious. Strip naked and bend over and say, I'm free. Hemorrhoids. This is me. And Pam goes, please, do not do that. But see, I was serious, and she knew. She goes, please don't. She goes, I'll be coming to visit you in that ward. They have a locked door. At, 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 this was in Orlando. At, uh, <laughs> 
you know, Orlando Medical, yeah, we're going to come visit you there. Because, I'm like, well, I didn't do that. So the question that's always around, uh, has arisen in me, because I've had difficulty being diligent and disciplined. Those are great virtues. I mean, I've been so jealous of those who have had such virtues. And sometimes angry, angry at my father. You know, I had no one like to maybe mentor me and guide me to at least I, no one. So you, you survive, you follow a path of least resistance. I'm like, how do I become like Jesus? Is, this is the goal, is the goal to do ministry. The goal isn't to do ministry. That's a means to an end. The goal is that we become like Jesus Christ. But even that actually isn't the goal. The goal is unbridled relationship with the living God, the product of which you become like Jesus Christ in that place of intimacy. So, Carol, you were saying discipline. So, you get all the way to... Obviously, there's a million things that burn in my heart. The greatness of his holy name. Okay, just got to say that. The greatness of his holy name. The greatness of his holy character. I'm laying in bed about three years ago. God often wakes me in the middle of the night. Usually in 2.30 to 3.30 at night, wakes me. He woke me this night, and he does this very gently, but very precisely. And, and revealed to me, when you ministered to this person, and there was, there was a blessing. That person was ministered to. He, she, the Lord says, you didn't do that because you were so concerned about that person. You did it because you wanted to be seen. And so I had no clue. It wasn't obvious. Sometimes it's obvious. But it was like, and I remember going, oh, how deep does the rabbit hole go? And then the Holy Spirit speaks with an internal audible voice, but clearly. How deep am I? Oh, because the Lord has given me a depth of revelation of the greatness of the infinitude of God. I'm like, I'm seriously, I screamed out. Oh, like what? And the Holy Spirit says, when you stop believing two lies, you'll become exponentially more like Christ. The first lie is that shouldn't be in there. I thought about it. It shouldn't be in there. No, of course not, right? It shouldn't be in there. You shouldn't. No, actually, the paradoxical divine irony is that which is not lays a foundation to bring forth that which is. And if it wasn't in there, that means I was 
completely like Christ. Completely. God, come on. I'm a lot like Christ, but <laughs> I'm still a million miles away from being like him. The second lie is you have control over it. Well, don't I choose? Well, yeah, but that's the tip of the iceberg. Really, your obedience is more giving, is to demonstrate the genuineness of your genuine desire to want my holiness to be a part of you. It doesn't create holiness, and there's the lie. And that's not what Hebrews 12 is talking about. God doesn't discipline us. And here's the lie, that we get it right. In the natural, he's using that that uh, analogous representation, but he's not saying, because then we stay at the tree of knowledge of good and evil and have to try to get it right. That's not, it's talking about suffering, but we can relate to discipline. That is, when something isn't right in me, my father, what? Causes suffering to happen so that it's the motivating force to have me get it right. That isn't the point of that verse. The point is suffering. And the point is holiness. But how does suffering bring you to a place of what? What does it say? Partaking of the holiness of God. And this is, here it is. Let. It's surrendered dependency and trust. It moves me not to get it right, that's still a place that will never produce life. Never. Oh, I, there's a place to choose, and there's consequences for not choosing, but let me say this. How do we become like Christ? Only when you're in relationship. And I don't mean because we cite the title deed of righteousness because of the blood of Christ that's in the courthouse of heaven. And there is that kind of reality, but we're talking about, so, and Carol knows I could just go on, I mean, but guys, beloved, <laughs> he wants to remove, some of us are disciplined, and you can achieve, you can be a Tom Brady, you can be a neurosurgeon, you can, but guess what, the majority of people are like the prostitutes and the drunkards, you know, and the t you know they have a hard time <laughs> keeping even their head above water. How do we become like Christ? Thank you, Brad. Man, amen. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> amen, let's all stand together. Thank you, Or Is it, Austin, you get Stephen, I'm not, I don't know if he's. Man, let's let's go ahead and uh, come forward and then partake of communion. Come forward.
therefore, strengthen your listless hands and your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but healed. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now for everything that has seemed to trap us up and trip us up. Lord, I pray even under this revelation and under this testimony that in this room, cause us to run, Lord. Cause us to run. Listen, eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, joy unspeakable. Oh, joy everlasting. Oh, glory. Oh, the movement of the Spirit that we may know you, Lord, that we may be made into your likeness. behold you, Lord, and I want to know you, Lord, my all inner self crying out to you. I want to be one with you, Lord. Oh, you're great and beautiful and majestic and glorious in every way. The transfiguration is upon us. You're the great ascender, and you've accomplished the great descent. Everything's been purchased at the cross. This morning we receive the blood. The blood, the blood, the blood, blood. Oh, the beautiful blood that restores our soul and makes us whole again. I speak the healing of the Lord over your soul. I pray that you would receive 10,000 times 10,000 the exposure of light. And that light would break forth. You would be transformed in the grace of God. and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
said this is the cup, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may you have peace. Amen. Bless you today.